remind you guys tonight, everyone look up here. This book, okay, is what gets us closer to Jesus. And you're like, I know that. No, no, no. Without it, you will get no closer to him. This is how he speaks to us. This is how he has revealed himself to us. And so we want to give him all of our attention. And as we do, God will bring not only spiritual understanding in our minds, but if you are willing to lean in, then God will bring continued change in your hearts, okay? And even for those of you that maybe on Sunday listened to God's word and wrote notes or were engaged, or maybe even at camp with the different sessions we had, listen, it's never enough to just rely on, well, I did study the Bible before. No, you and I have such a capacity where we need a continual renewal. All of us lived our life today, and we need to be washed of the filth of this world and our mind that begins to wander. God wants to bring us back on track, okay? So what faith produces? Over the last several weeks, we have spent a good amount of time studying the faith of Abraham, also known as the father of faith. We've learned many things from his example of trusting the Lord, uh, but it's time to move on. For the next few verses, we left off actually in verse 19 last week, but you'll notice that we are kind of flying over uh, verses 20 through 22. And there's a reason for that. The author of Hebrews uh, really just makes quick mention of the sons of Abraham, also known as the, the patriarchs, right? Abraham, Isaac, and who? Jacob. Jacob. And then who even comes after Jacob? You know? Joseph, right? You have these four guys known as the patriarchs of faith. They're those that God established the nation with. And you'll notice in verse 20, he mentions the promised son Isaac passing down the blessings of God to his sons by faith. He mentions Jacob doing the same with the sons of Joseph. And then finally, he mentions how Joseph told those around him before he died concerning the future departure of the Israelites out of Egypt of the promised to the promised land. And so this was, of course, kind of a focus uh, coming off of those great promises that God had made to Abraham. And so um, maybe in a future study, we'll look at those guys more in depth. But for the purpose of our series, we're going to move on to the next biblical character. We're going to get out of Genesis finally and get into the book of Exodus. This brings us to the man named Moses, the one who God would raise up to deliver the people of Israel out of the wicked hands of an evil Pharaoh who would oppress the children of Israel for hundreds of years. Uh, and all the way up until past Joseph's death in Egypt. And so tonight we will look not only at the faith of Moses, but we'll actually start with the faith of his faith-filled parents. And we're going to see what faith produced in the story of Moses and the Exodus. All right, let's read our portion of scripture, which will be Hebrews 11. Looking down in your own Bibles, I would love for you to follow along. We'll start in verse 23 and read down to verse 29, and then we'll pray. Verse 23, the Bible says this. 
By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Look at verse 27. By faith he, being Moses, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And then finally, verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Let's pray together. Fathers, we look at the story of Moses and the Exodus story. There's so much here, but God, we pray that you would focus us in on the things that you want us to learn. A story many of us have grown up hearing, reading, and even some watching, uh, Lord, a movie. Lord, we've seen the veggie tales or the whatever it might be. But God, we pray that you would make your word come alive to us this day. For we know this is not just a story, but this is an account, an account of what you did in a man named Moses. And we pray that you would speak to us today regarding that very thing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Seven verses we just read. And there are five occurrences of faith that are displayed. I want you to note that down. Through seven verses, there are five instances or what you could say occurrences of faith. By faith. By faith. Five times that have to do with the Exodus story. I have today reduced these five occurrences into three categories or groupings. And that's just to help us understand. So rather than having five points, we're gonna have three simply because it's easier to remember. And we're gonna see that these three categories uh, are what faith produces. So seven verses, five occurrences of faith, by faith mentioned five times in those seven verses, and we will categorize them or group them into three categories of what faith produces, all right? Number one, you can note it down. Faith produces courage. Faith produces courage. We find this in verses 23 and verse 27. You see, faith leads to courage. And notice that I say courage, not fearlessness, because they're not the same. Courage is not the absence of fear, but the overcoming of it. It isn't that the fear is necessarily gone, as much as there then is the present ability to not allow that fear to dictate one's actions. It is the fear of God that so outweighs the fear of anything or anyone that you have courage. Courageous faith is what we're talking about. We find this to be true, not only when it comes to the man named Moses, 
but also his parents. You can note down in verse 23 on this topic of faith producing courage that we find a reference to not Moses, but his parents, his beginning, if you will. You can see that there in verse 23 when it says, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. Now, I want you to do something. We're going to be going back and forth a little bit. I'd love for you to bookmark Hebrews 11. And we're going to travel back to Exodus chapter 1. So I would love for you to bookmark. If you have a tassel, that's great. If you don't have a Bible with a tassel, you need to ask your parents to go get you a Bible with a tassel. All right? It's just so convenient. And uh, if not, then you can put your maybe a finger there or something there. Because we are going to be back to Hebrews 11. But we got to go see this firsthand in Exodus chapter 1 and Exodus chapter 2. The birth story of Moses. Eventually, Joseph dies in Egypt, and the entire generation that knew Joseph and loved him, they had also died. And centuries pass, and a new pharaoh arises who sees the growing population of these Hebrew people that live in Egypt, and he begins to get worried. And so this Pharaoh king begins to oppress them for fear that they would one day overtake the Egyptians. This new Pharaoh begins to command the midwives of the Hebrew women, those who help them give birth, to kill the newborn sons, but let the daughters live. He commanded them saying, if it's a son, cast the baby into a river. If it's a daughter, let her live. You say the fear was that there would be an army that would rise out of the Hebrews. And Pharaoh did this uh, so that uh, he would try to minimize that. The problem was that it backfired. You can look on the screen or there in your Bibles in Exodus chapter 1, that the Hebrew midwives didn't do what Pharaoh wanted. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the the male children alive. And so as a result, now the command doesn't just go to the midwives, but if you look at the last verse in chapter 1, Exodus 1 verse 22, now the command goes out to everyone to throw their newborn sons in the river, but their daughters they shall keep alive. So this is the, the temperament. This is the culture that Moses is born into. He's born into extreme danger. Let's read it together, starting in Exodus chapter 2, verse 1, and we'll read down to verse 10 together. All right, we'll read down to verse 10 just to give us the context. You guys there? Exodus 2. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it in asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. That's where we get our game, by the way. Just kidding. Uh, And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of 
the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. They hid this beautiful child for three months, but after that it became too risky that if they were found out, the child would have been killed instantly. And so they got a basket, they laid the baby in it, and they sealed it up. Then they sent it to float down the Nile River, and Moses' sister, Miriam, followed to see what would happen to him, trusting that God would take care of him. At the same time, Pharaoh's daughter came down to the Nile, and she saw the basket. And when she saw it, she opened it and saw the baby boy, and the Bible tells us that she had compassion on him. And so I love what happens here. Miriam's sister is kind of watching from afar, seeing what's going to happen to the the baby, her baby brother. And we find that Miriam goes up to Pharaoh's daughter and asks her the question of, do you want me to find a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby? She agrees, and Miriam brought Moses' mom to be able to nurse her own baby and now get paid for it. When the children grew, the child grew past the age of needing to be fed, then Pharaoh's daughter's son became her own, and she called him Moses. You see, Moses' parents were not afraid. The fullness of their faith produced an ability to overcome the fear of the king. This moved them to actually disobey the Pharaoh's command, and to obey God's command. And we see that God was faithful to see them through and do beyond what they could ever imagine. Not only is there now their son able to live, but she even gets paid for raising him. You see, their faith led to courage, the ability to overcome fear. Faith makes fear take a back seat. Let me illustrate it for you. When someone builds up enough courage to jump from a plane with a parachute, it doesn't mean there's no fear. It simply means that they were able to come to a place to overcome that fear and jump. Now, over time, the more they do it, it might be that the fear does disappear, but it never begins that way. Courage is not the absence of fear, it is the ability to overcome it. And acting in fear, when we do act in fear, it's a direct result of living apart from faith. There are two options. You are either living by faith or you are are living by fear. Faith will be able to make us live a courageous Christian life where fear has no place. Now, like his parents, later on, we're going to see in the life of Moses that he also was a courageous, faith-filled man. Not only his parents who set him an example, but we find later on, verse 27, look in your Bibles, it tells us that by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. 
there are two times that Moses left Egypt. The first time was as a criminal after killing an Egyptian. We're going to get to that. But the second is as a leader who God employed to deliver the people of God. This verse refers to the second time. It refers to Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, despite the anger of the king. We got to get something in our minds. You see, we have now live in a world where there are a lot of, a, a lot of powerful leaders. But over the course of most of history, there's always been one person prominently in power, whether it was with the kingdom, whether with kingdoms like Rome or Greece or Babylon or Egypt. Egypt, Pharaoh wasn't just the king of Egypt. He was really the most powerful entity on earth. While there were others who reigned, he reigned supreme. Yet he was no match for the God of Moses. Notice, write down verse 27, that he forsook. We're told that he forsook. It means to leave behind and depart. Now, if you guys are familiar with the Exodus story, you know that this courageous faith was a process. It didn't just happen all at once, right? Moses didn't go in there and take the people out immediately. There was a process. And yet, by the end of it, you see Moses stand before the most powerful man in the world, declare God's message, and then simply walk away from Egypt with millions of people. We need to understand that the Exodus wasn't just a few hundred people, millions of people delivering them by the hand of God. But notice it says he, he didn't fear the wrath of the king. The reason he didn't fear Pharaoh wasn't because that Pharaoh wasn't powerful, but it was the fact that he looked to the king of kings, the king of all the earth. Notice verse 27 in your Bibles in Hebrews 11. We're gonna have to flip back and forth, you guys, from Hebrews 11 and Exodus 2. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses' courageous faith allowed him to endure anything that was thrown his way by Pharaoh. And this is the source. Hey, verse 27 gives us the source of courageous faith. It's to look to the king who is eternal, immortal, invisible, and who is all wise. 1 Timothy 1.17 is an awesome verse that describes our king, the one we worship. Now to the king eternal means, means he always has been and he always will be. Immortal, he can never die. No one can take him out. Invisible, meaning he is not seen, right? Pharaoh never saw Yahweh. He never saw the great I am. He was invisible, but Moses looked to him. He had seen something, the burning bush, but that was about all. If he saw any more of God's presence, he would have died. To God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now we got to understand something about God. Though God during this time of life remains invisible, it doesn't mean he isn't present, right? Think about what you know regarding the story of the Exodus. God was certainly present. 
he was invisible himself, but physically active. Think about the plagues, the boils, the frogs, the blood, the whatever it might have been. We see that this unseen God acted against Egypt in very seen and felt ways. Matthew Henry, Bible commentator I've shared with you before, says this, such a sight of God will enable believers to endure to the end whatever they may meet with in the way. You see, whatever might come our way, when we look to the king who is invisible, who is eternal, who is immortal, then nothing can stand in our way. But what about you? Let's move on from Moses for a moment and into your life. I doubt God is going to ask you to deliver millions of people. But has your faith in the Lord produced in you courage? Maybe not fearlessness, but the ability to not allow fleshly fears to dictate the choices that we make. Think about your life in the last week or two weeks. Have you lived by faith or have you lived by fear? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but the Bible says a power, love, and a sound mind. But so often we allow fear of something or someone to determine what we do or do not do. Yet what, God, what did, that's not like a foreign language. Yet what did God tell Joshua? Be strong and what? Courageous, for I am with you. Secondly, faith produces sacrifice, produces sacrifice in the life of a believer. We find this in verses 24, 25, and 26. You guys still have bookmarked Exodus chapter 2? So if not, turn back there, Exodus 2. I want to read to you kind of what follows the birth story. All right, we, we looked at Right? Moses didn't really have a lot to do with him being found by Pharaoh. That was his parents' faith. But now he comes to the age of 40 years old. And we're going to see a choice that he makes. We're going to see a sacrifice that he makes. Look there in verse 11 of Exodus 2. I'll read it to you. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. Remember, they were oppressed by Pharaoh. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when, excuse me, and when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, why are you striking your companion? Then he said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian and has sat down and he sat down by a well. So Moses grows up and when he's 40 years old, he goes out to his people and he sees their hard labor that they are forced into. You see, Moses had a great position and privilege within Pharaoh's house. But he goes out and he sees an Egyptian beating on one of his Hebrew brethren. 
And when no one was around, he looked this way and looked that way. We're told that he strikes that Egyptian, kills the guy, and buries him in the sand. Now, he thought no one saw it. However, he was ultimately found out, and this is why he had to flee to Midian, a place out in the desert from Egypt. You see, Moses' life is in three parts. Forty years, he lived in Pharaoh's house. Forty years, he lived out in the desert doing a whole lot of nothing. And then the second, and then the third 40-year period of his life is when he begins to be used by God. It took 80 years for him to get there, but he did. God redeemed it. Stephen gives us some insight about Moses when recounting the history of Israel. So in Acts chapter 7, when uh, he's around a bunch of uh, religious Jews and Pharisees, he begins to recount the story of the Exodus uh, that ultimately pointed to Jesus. And he says this, and it gives us a little bit more detail. But when he set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And this is key, verse 22, and Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. Notice verse 25, this is, this is key as well. For he supposed that his brethren, so the Hebrews, would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. Now it appears that some way Moses knew rightly that he would deliver God's people. Was this revealed to him in a dream? We don't know, but some way he knew. The problem was that he jumped the gun quite literally, and, and then killed the Egyptian and was put into the desert for 40 years, in a sense, on timeout. He was not an heir to the throne, but you see, Pharaoh, during those first 40 years of his life, had extreme privilege and authority and responsibilities. Moses would have never done any hard labor, and he never would have had to, he had everything he could ever want. But what does the Bible say? Look in your Bibles, now back at Hebrews chapter 11. And I think that'll be our last time in Exodus, so you can park back there. Hebrews 11, it says that he chose the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures in Egypt. The Bible tells us that Moses refused these privileges of Pharaoh's house to choose to suffer with his people rather then rule over them. Now, a very important verse here. Notice there in, in, verse, in verse 25, he chose, he sacrificed the passing uh, pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater. He describes this as passing pleasure of sin. And I want you to make note of that. It's an application for you and I, the passing pleasures of sin. Is sin pleasurable? Absolutely. It wouldn't be tempting if it wasn't, but it is. It's desirable and enjoyable, but it's passing. The idea of passing is it doesn't last. It's always temporary. And so Moses stepped back and he saw, I could live the rest of my life in Pharaoh's house. I could have everything handed to me 
but this is not the way that God has called me to live. And so it was worth the sacrifice to be with his people. And no, he got ahead of himself and he killed the Egyptian. He shouldn't have done that. He got a little too excited, a little too trigger happy. But God eventually got him back on the track of his calling. But how was Moses able to make such a sacrifice? What was the key to this decision? Well, I want you to see there, I believe it is in verse 26. Look at the very end. The end of verse 26. You guys looking? Look in your Bibles. Don't look at me. Verse 26. For he looked to the reward. He looked to the reward. The Phillips paraphrase puts it like this. For he looked steadily at the ultimate, not the immediate reward. And this is what it looks like to live life by faith. It's to have your eyes on the future reward. And this is so often what God uses as a motivation. Look back at verse six of Hebrews chapter 11. Verse six of Hebrews 11 says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and don't miss it, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This is the motivation that God uses. He says, why is it worth saying no to sin? Because it's only pleasurable for a season, but God says, I have something to you that's gonna last a lot longer. Jesus said this about reward in the face of being mistreated on his behalf. Luke 6, verse 22 and 23. He says, blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake, for Jesus's sake. He says, in that day, rejoice and leap for joy. For indeed your reward is great in heaven for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. So this is a situation that Jesus is putting forth. Imagine you telling someone tomorrow about John 3, 16, and they call you a dummy, a weirdo, and get out of my face. What Jesus would instruct you to do would be to jump up and click your heels and be more ecstatic than you can believe because your reward in heaven is great. Now, not really. You shouldn't do that in front of the person. They would really think you're weird then, okay? Uh, if you're weird for Jesus, that's one thing. If you're weird on your own, then that's your own thing, okay? So, but in that moment of, of persecution for Jesus' sake, now to what extent, whether it's just you get made fun of or looked at weird or, you, I mean, maybe even pushed or whatever, Jesus says, in that moment, you don't get excited because you got nailed or you got called a name, but you get excited and leap for joy, knowing what's coming later, that you will stand before him and he will say, you were faithful to tell them, even though they rejected you. Paul also had this perspective. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse 25 says that everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or self-controlled in all things. He uses the illustration of an athlete, of someone who would be playing in the Olympic games that anyone who is competing, they're not gonna be eating Takis and Sour Punch straws. They're not gonna be staying up late and not exercising. No, they're gonna dig deep. They're gonna eat raw eggs and nasty things and, and all kinds of stuff. Why? Because listen, he says they do it to obtain a perishable crown. This is the, the Olympic 
crown that they would have crowned someone that day would have faded within a week. But you and I, we run for an imperishable crown. You see, the motivation that you and I, why should you go out and share your faith? Part of it, obviously, is so that, so that we have a heart for the loss. We should want to go share. But let's say if you're like, I just don't really care. I don't really want it. That one of your motivations can be, okay, God told me there's going to be reward. And so I'm going to, I'm going to get, that's part of my motive. That is, that is an okay and even good motivation. Now I've found that even if you start out with that motivation, eventually your heart will so turn for the loss and so desire them to be saved. But God uses the reward as motivation. But listen, it takes faith to think like this. Why? Because you can't see it yet. You can't see it yet. And that's the hard part. To see the current as temporary and the future as eternal. To make decisions, physical decisions, based on faith that makes your life less pleasurable. Listen, it would be easier for you guys tomorrow to say nothing to no one. That would be much easier than having some, sometimes what feels like awkward conversations or I don't know if they're going to think of me weird or whatever it might be. It would be easier not to. But the reward is so worth it to make decisions based upon an invisible kingdom and an invisible God. It'll be all worth it. Thirdly and finally, faith produces not only courage, sacrifice, but deliverance. But deliverance, it produces deliverance, the deliverance specifically of God. So far, we have seen that faith produces courage in the face of fear. We have seen that faith produces a willing sacrifice for the passing pleasures of sin, for the future heavenly reward. And now we finally come to what Moses' faith ultimately produces, and that is deliverance from the Lord. Psalm 18.2 tells us that God is our deliverer. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Listen, faith produces God's deliverance in your life. He delivers either way, but it's just a question of whether you're getting on the boat or not. Whether you're taking the life raft. It's there, but faith produces an experience of deliverance. Let me illustrate this to you in two ways. Faith produces deliverance. The first way is in verse 28, and it's regarding the Passover. Two events that we see the deliverance by faith. The first one is in verse 28. Verse 28, when he says, by faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. You guys know about the Passover? So Exodus chapter 11 displays for us the beginning of the last of the 10 plagues, right? There were the frogs. That one's so funny to me. There were the locusts. There were the boils. There were all kinds of different ones. And there were 10 of them. But the 10th was the worst of all. The Lord God was going to strike dead every firstborn son of every household. Exodus 12 is when Moses receives from God 
what the children of Israel must do so that their firstborns were protected and not included with Egypt. And what they were supposed to do, the instructions given, was that they were to take an innocent lamb without blemish. They were to kill it. They were to take the blood. They were to take some of that blood and right, put it on the doorposts okay, of their house. Then they were to take that lamb and barbecue it and, and eat it. So that was kind of cool. Then at midnight, when God passed over all of the land of Egypt, God would see the blood on the doorposts and he would pass over the house. Thus Moses and all Israel were delivered because of their faith in God's word. Listen, if an Egyptian decided to take the blood and put it on their doorposts, God would have passed over their house too. They believed what God had said, and so they acted because of it. If there was an Israelite who never moved to faith, then they would have not been delivered. Deliverance came as a result of belief in action, faith. So much so that they did what God said. Does that make sense? So we see deliverance within the Passover. Secondly, though, we see this, of course, within the Red Sea. The Red Sea. By faith, verse 29, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. Whereas the Egyptians, they, they, listen, they walked through the same dry Red Sea, but the problem was that they didn't do it by faith. And so God collapsed the waters and they were drowned. So after this last plague, right, you guys know the story, hopefully maybe a little bit. If not, this will be a refresher. After that last plague and that morning comes and the firstborn son of all the Egyptians were now dead, Moses, uh, sorry, Pharaoh says enough is enough. He says, get your people and get out of here. And so they go. And, uh, as the people get by the Red Sea, Pharaoh's heart becomes hard. And, they, and he decides to then, he, he comes to this moment and said, no, you know what? No, we're going to go and we're going to take them back. And so he pursues to get them back. And when the children of Israel saw that Pharaoh was behind them, pursuing them, the children of Israel began to be very afraid. They cried out to the Lord and began to complain. They said things along the lines of, Yahweh just took us out here so that we could die by the sea. We would have been better if we just stayed. But Moses begins to assure them. He says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He says, you will never have to see these Egyptians again. And so the Bible tells us that God moved the pillar of cloud that led them to the Red Sea that it went behind them, creating darkness for the Egyptians, but light for the Israelites. And so Moses obeyed God by taking his staff and stretching it out over the sea. You guys know the story. God caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind, divided the waters in such a way that they didn't just walk across, the land was dry. What would have happened if someone had stayed back and didn't cross over, it would have been taken out by Pharaoh and the Egyptians. You see, faith, for it to produce deliverance, it must be moved to action. They walked across. 
And then when the Egyptians came across, God began to take off their wheels of the chariots and the waters returned, destroying all the Egyptians. Now, looking at this story, you don't really see faith on behalf of the Israelites, but you see Moses' faith. He knew that God would come through and he obeyed at God's every command, so much so that God said, put out your rod. And he said, the sea is gonna part. If Moses never put out the rod, the sea would have never parted. Whose power was it? Was it Moses' power or God's power? It was God's power, but it was Moses' faith that enacted his deliverance. Exodus 14, verse 15 and 16 says, and the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. That's key. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground in the midst of the sea. The children of Israel had to move forward by faith. And you guys got to understand this tonight. Maybe you've believed in the power of God. Until, like Israel, you move forward, until you, like Moses, in a sense, put up the rod, you will not experience the deliverance of God. There are many people in hell tonight that believed in God, but they never moved forward in faith. Moses' faith led to the ultimate deliverance by God for the people of Israel. And so the life of Moses is a great witness for us. He wasn't without failure as he spent those 40 years in the desert when he jumped the gun and killed the Egyptian, yet we learn valuable lessons from his life. We learn that faith produces courage, faith produces sacrifice, and praise God that faith ultimately produces deliverance. Deliverance. And both of these deliverances that we talked about the Passover and the Red Sea, each of them foreshadow the future deliverance that Jesus offered by his sacrifice and his blood. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, if you want to note it down, it won't be on the screen. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us, for indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. See, you and I, thank God, we don't have to take a innocent, cute little lamb and kill it and take its blood and put it on our doorpost. It'd be really messy all the time. Now the barbecue, that kind of sounds fun. But, but listen, Christ, the Bible says, is our Passover. He is our Passover lamb. It is his blood on the doorpost of our life that delivers us from the power and sting of death. The Bible says that if you have the blood of Jesus on your life, then death will pass you over. That when you die, you don't die. You graduate. That your last breath here is your first breath in heaven. And there's no such thing as death for the believer. That's why the Bible describes death for the believer as sleeping. Because it's going to be like that. You might ask, what is death going to be like? I can tell you. You're going to fall asleep here and you're going to wake up in heaven. Nothing in between. No dreaming, no purgatory. It's going to be awesome. But only as you put your faith and trust in the finished work of the blood of Jesus on the doorpost of your life will you experience his deliverance. 
He has made a way through what would seem impossible. The children of Israel were at this moment of panic. They looked at the Egyptians coming. They looked at the deep Red Sea in front of them. And what seemed impossible, God made a way. And all we have to do, like the children of Israel, is walk forward by faith. And it is in Christ that death itself is swallowed up. Amen? Let's pray. Lord.